0: Welcome to Mosaic Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Mosaic Church Leeds based in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information on Mosaic Church, please visit mosaic-church.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Advice concerning getting married to this wonderful young lady called Philippa, who became my wife 18 years ago. And I never grew up with my dad, and so it was quite a big deal to go and ask him sort of man-to-man what things he would want me to do as I sort of try to build a long lasting marriage. And what he said is a sermon for another day. But he surprised me with the sort of the amount of care that he gave to answering that question. He said some really nice things, some interesting things. And he also said some surprising things that made me go away and really think carefully about what he said. I was struck by his warmth and... The tone my dad spoke to me is the tone of the passage we're looking at today. The Apostle Paul is the author and he's speaking like a father to a very young church that's going through some very challenging times with regards to being a Christian. And the topic or the subject for tonight is sexual purity. And so can I have a cheer for that? That's quite exciting. Yes, good. And it's important as we look at this topic that we hear the voice of a good father because we come to the issue of sexual purity from lots of different backgrounds. If you're not a Christian here tonight, you may have heard that um, Christians don't sleep together, have sex before they're married. And you might have heard that rumour and it may surprise you. It may sound strange to you. It might, might sound restrictive And if you do think that I want to show you why we believe that and I more than that I want to show you by putting sex within marriage it makes the best out of sex and it makes you flourish in life and I hope I can convince you of that if you listen to me. I'm also aware in the room you've got some people that are Christians that would say I don't really struggle with sexual impurity. And others that would say, this is my biggest struggle, whether it's because of my past or my present or fears about the future, the sexual partners I've had, my experience, what's happening right now, my addictions. This is like a live issue for you. And for Christians in either camps, I really hope that I can do a good job in bringing some challenge, but also a lot of hope. A lot of hope for Christ to be at work in our lives. Uh, So I've got a difficult job I'm going to pray for us uh, as we get into this text. So Lord, I pray that by the end of tonight we would prize sex in such a way that it brings you great glory. That's like my goal in this, that we would prize sex in a way that glorifies God. I pray you'd speak through the Bible. And that any words of mine that are unhelpful or inadequate, you'd push them to one side. And like we sang in that song, I pray that everyone would hear Jesus calling their name tonight. Calling them towards himself and offering grace, forgiveness and power to change. Amen. Amen. So if you've got a Bible tonight, we're going to look in the New Testament in a book that we're reading at the moment. A letter written 2,000 years ago. Uh, to a church in Thessalonica, so it's called 1 Thessalonians, we're in chapter 4, verse 1. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified and that you should avoid sexual immorality. Let's just work our way backwards through these first three verses. So verse three tells us the focus of the Apostle Paul's advice. Um, He's talking about sexual purity or avoiding sexual immorality. Look at it with me. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. So a really wise question to ask yourself is what is sexual immorality? And I would say it's three things covered by a word in the original Greek language called pornea. And that word has three main sort of thrusts. Number one is talking about fornication. Fornication is like an old sort of English word that we don't use anymore to describe two people acting as if they're married when they're not. So two people touching each other, sleeping together in a way that only married people should do that's fornication. It also secondly includes any sexual activity with someone who isn't your spouse. So for those of you that are married and you're having sexual activity with someone who isn't your spouse, that's called adultery. So first fornication, acting as if you're married when you're not. Secondly, adultery, having a sexual activity with someone you're not married to when you're already married. And thirdly, it includes lust. And Paul actually talks about this in verse 5, which is committing fornication and adultery in your mind. And Jesus told his disciples that that was not God's best. So um, porn, fantasies, masturbation, all fall in, sort of within that category. So Paul is addressing sexual immorality verse two tells us that this isn't just paul's idea but when he taught it to the church he if you like he as he repeats himself now he he said it came straight from the top it came straight from god verse two says for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the lord jesus so this is god's view of sex and marriage this isn't paul's like best pastoral advice this is god's view of sex and marriage And then lastly, verse 1 shows us that Paul is pleased with how they're doing, but hes it's like there's always room for improvement. He says, verse 1, as for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. So we taught you about this stuff, and actually, when I heard about how the church is doing, it's like you're doing okay, so well done. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. Everyone say more and more? More and more. Paul is saying, you're living in a way that pleases God, but I want you to do it more and more. He means there isn't this threshold or standard of godliness you reach where you just sit back and say, I'm done with sexual purity. I've reached the adequate standard, so I don't need to confess it to anyone. I'm okay. He's saying, no, I want you to pursue holiness more and more and more. And it was interesting as I read this, I've been preparing this talk for the last couple of weeks and I know when I talk about my struggles to live God's way, um, there are many other things that I talk about, many other things that I I struggle with. But sexual uh, impurity is not something that I talk about much. And I read this, that God's asking for more and more. I realise how much I have settled with just being comfortable with things being okay. And I've asked God to speak to me in the last few weeks on where I don't live up to what I think is um, okay, where I'm actually uh, impure in my thinking and my actions. And God's spoken and I've realised how much that I need to pursue holiness in a way that I haven't and so listen if you're sat there tonight and you're at this end of the spectrum where you think I'm 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 doing all right thank you I would ask you just very gently to say are you okay with this are you pursuing this more and more have you settled have you thought you've got yourself to a certain level of godliness and then given up or will you be willing to let the Holy Spirit speak to you So the first three verses very much very sort of clear he's saying I've spoken to you about sexual purity now I want you to really live in the good of it what's fascinating is we don't know what he actually taught them like what he taught them about sex and we actually have to go to other places in the Bible to sort of get God's view of sex and I just want to do that briefly and I'm not sure but I imagine he taught them something like this and I just want to give you two 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 things number one i hope well i expect he would have said that we are made in god's image and that has massive implications so the bible says we are more than just animals so genesis 1 the creation of the world god said let us make man in our image in our likeness and let them rule over the earth So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. So you and I are made in the image of God. Dogs, hamsters, parrots, pigs, chimps. You may love all those animals, but they are not made in the image of God. Only humans are made in the image of God. The wonderful three-in-one God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, who lived in perfect community and unity, decided to share their community with mankind. They made us in their image. Some people say, my sons look a bit like me. This is my family. My two sons, my wife and my daughter. And I can't see it myself, but... (laughs) Apparently, they've been made in my image. They look like me. And God has made us in his image. That's important. In ancient times, emperors or kings, they would put an image or a statue of themselves when you entered their land. It was so that everyone knew that their image meant that this land was theirs That their kingdom represented them. God is saying the same. He wants people to see his image in us. The family likeness. And so that people will see what God is like. And the purpose of sex is connected with that higher purpose. In the Trinity, in God, there is faithfulness. There is unity. There is love. There is sacrifice. And therefore, in marriage and in sex, we should image faithfulness, we should shine out unity, love, and surrender. And so, good sex should always point to God, it should increase His glory because that's what it was invented for. And it's why casual sex, or sex outside of marriage, or lust, or masturbation, or pornography, they're all. They are distortions of their original purpose. In what it does is this, it makes sex about sex rather than about God. And when you make sex about sex, it loses its purpose and ultimately it becomes empty and worthless. So number one, we're made in God's image. I hope you see that it has massive implications for our sex lives. But secondly, he wants us to flourish. This sounds crazy because at the start, I seem to be implying that God restrains our choice because he takes this beautiful thing called sex and he places it within a boundary. And the boundary is marriage between a man and a woman. He places it in there. It's not meant to be outside. It's meant to be in here. And that sounds very restrictive. And therefore, it sounds like God is against freedom and liberty. But God ultimately places restrictions and takes some things away ultimately to set us free that's what we believe as christians an illustration would be this are you more free to be a train running on tracks or a train that runs loose in a field yes the train in the field can go anywhere it likes But ultimately, by sticking to the tracks, this train can go at the right speed and gets to its destination in safety. And God does the same with all of our life, but especially with sex. He invented sex. We believe God designed it to be pleasurable. And it's the first command in the whole of the Bible. The first thing he says to mankind is to go and have sex. Would you believe it? God wants you to flourish in your sex life. But it's through relationship with Jesus first and placing this beautiful, intimate thing called sex in a protective boundary relationship called marriage. With tracks, with boundaries, with commitment, you not only honour God, which is what it's there for, but also you honour one another. It's fascinating. I speak to many uh, couples thinking of getting married and the conversation often turns to, how are you going to stay sexually pure? How do you make sure you don't sleep together before you're married? And also, how do you stay pure in your heart? And for those couples that decide, we're going to put this ring fence around um, our s- sort of sexual lives and stay outside of it until we're married, they take something into marriage that is very unique and beautiful and that thing is trust and commitment because they've agreed together we are not going to enter into this and though their temptation is massive they've made it through their going out and engagement until they're married and so in married life as spouses you can trust each other because you've known you've been faithful before marriage And to take that level of commitment and trust is a beautiful thing. And alternatively, if you cannot ring-fence those things which are only meant for marriage, then you build distrust, you build doubt, you take into a marriage, oh, if I can't trust him in that arena, can I trust him in this arena? If he says he's going to do this but actually does that then you're building something negative. So I want you to see that not only is sex there to glorify God, not only is he wanting us to flourish in our sex lives when it's within the boundary of marriage, but if you stay on the tracks, if you live God's way, then it causes you to flourish, flourish in your sex lives, but flourish in relationships because of what you establish together. Does that make sense, everyone? No, like no one's given me any eye contact or nodding at all in this talk. So Paul, the Apostle Paul, is saying, let's pursue sexual purity. So how? How do we do it? How does he instruct this church? Well, he gives three things in the next couple of verses. Number one, he says, control your body instead of impassionate in lust." So verse 4, he says that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that's holy and honourable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. So Paul is very to the point. He says, I want you to control your body, obtain mastery over your eyes, your hands, your mind, your private parts, and only use your body for stuff that is holy and honourable. That's it. Use your body for stuff that is holy and honourable. What is it to be holy? Well holiness is loving the things that God loves. That's what holiness is. It's loving the things that God loves. So think about your eyes. Everyone point your eyes. All got eyes? Think about your eyes. Are you looking at people. Or watching a screen. In a way that is honourable. And holy. That's what he's asking. Think about. Your hands, everyone, show me your hands. He's saying, "Take your hands," is what you touch, honourable and only holy to God. You know, um, people do ask us, "How far should I go with my boyfriend or girlfriend before we're married?" And they want like a very clear definition. And I would say, if you are struggling in a relationship to decide how far you should go, stop and say, would Jesus approve of this? It's a beautiful moment that obviously kills all romantic passion right there. (laughs) But it's a great question to ask if you feel you're in a grey area. Would Jesus approve of this right now? Think about your voice. Everyone point to your mouth, your voice. What do you talk about? What do you talk about? Do you use your mouth for things that are holy and honourable? My wife is a midwife and at hospital um, in the, the office where the midwives hang out, the talk is often very sexual and people are very open about their sex lives because they are dealing with babies that are a result of sex, I think. And so it's like we can talk about this together. And my wife Philippa uses as much as she can those moments when she walks into a room and the conversation is very raw and not appropriate. She always tries to bring it back to talking about relationships and faithfulness and commitment and marriage. And she takes the vulnerability of someone sharing to try and bring the conversation somewhere else because she doesn't want to sit in a room where all she's getting is sort of very negative. Very explicit details of people's sex lives. How to you use your voice? And then think about your mind. Everyone point to your mind. Your mind. How to you use your mind? Are your thoughts honouring God and your present or your future spouse? And some of you have a fantasy world that you go to. It might be that you use different things to get you to that place or that you can just do it on your own. You have a fantasy sexual world. That fulfills certain needs. Can you say no to that world? Can you stop certain thoughts? Do you control the fancy world in your mind? Paul is saying get control of your own body. But notice he also says something which makes it more than just like this really stern, just get your body sorted out. He gives you the reason behind it. He says... When you give way to lustful passion, you act like people who do not know God. That's 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 5. You act. When you give yourself to lustful passion, you're acting like someone who doesn't know God. Which means the opposite is also true. Knowing God is the path to sexual purity. You see, when you step towards purity, you make a step towards God. Where you step away from purity, you're stepping away from God. Every time you step into holiness, you're growing closer to God. If you're struggling with sexual impurity in mind or body, the immediate and long-term strategy for you is know God. You know, if you do struggle, it it sounds so glib that, but I, I promise you that is the way through every time. Behind the reason you struggle sexually, if it's masturbation or pornography... There will be a need in your heart that you're trying to fix. Um, People don't go to pornography for the sort of the sexual kick. People go to pornography because it's feeding a need and it's usually a need for intimacy. It's a need to belong. It's a need to be in control. It's a need for comfort or pleasure. And when you can identify what the need is, then you know what the true battle is and you can go to God for those things. Thomas Chalmers, who was a pastor from 250 years ago, he preached the message called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection, which just sounds like a crazy preach, doesn't it? But he said, you don't just kill the sexual desire, you replace it with a stronger desire, a desire for God. Don't just kill the passion, but have the right sort of passion. He's saying the same thing. And we've said this from the front many times. If you're struggling... Uh, To let go, you need to find something better to hold on to. Just like a child, if they have a toy, if a child has a toy that they need to let go of, the easiest way to get them to let go is to give them a better toy. Have that! And you can take the little toy. And when you know what the little toy is trying to feed you, then you can go to God who will truly satisfy the needs of your heart in Jesus. So find a better lover, find a better comforter, someone who brings better pleasure. Um, You must change the heart first. Secondly, don't take advantage of one another. So first he says, control your body, and the answer is in relationship with God. Secondly, he says, don't take advantage of one another. Verse 6, and that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. So Paul's talking practically about how we treat one another as the family of God, as the church. If you're a Christian here, you have brothers and sisters in Christ. And he says, no one should take advantage of one another. So, you, so he's saying, don't have affairs in the mind Or in the body with your church family. And the incentive is as always is love. When we sin sexually we are not seeking the highest good of others. The motive is selfish desire. So if you are unmarried right now. Don't believe the myth that what's happening is just between the two of you. If you're going out with someone. That person could actually become someone else's spouse. So here Paul's saying, get your hands off someone else's future husband or wife. And if you're married, get your hands off someone else's future husband or wife. Instead, 1 Timothy 5 verses 1 to 2, do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers and younger women as sisters with absolute purity is that how you treat one another are you helping each other not to sin sexually about three and a half years ago we did a questionnaire in this gathering and we asked you what do you find most unhelpful uh, from the, the the opposite sex what do they do that doesn't help you stay pure and we summarise the answers. And this is, you all, I've really got your attention right now. <laughs> they said, the girl said this. The girl said, they hate it when men don't stick or set boundaries. Right? You remember the boundaries in a relationship we're going to go this far. And they don't stick or even set them. When they don't make their feelings clear. So there's a danger of reading into something that isn't there. When they show their stomachs, when they take their jumper off. (laughs) Now, that's what you said. Confusion in friendships, particularly flirting. Over-friendly hugs. And tight tops and boxers or pants showing and very low-cut trousers. I'm being very practical and honest. They were like the most common answers again and again. You girls said, men, you are not serving us when you do these things. You're taking advantage of us. So men, you must hear what your sisters are saying to you. They need your help in staying pure. So think about what you wear. Think about who you text. Think about what you say. And when you commit to something, commit to it with all of your heart. Don't go back on your word. The boys said to the girls, and it's interesting, they're all pretty similar. They said, wearing tops that show your shoulders or your cleavage are really unhelpful. Revealing tops, wearing clothes that show lots of skin, tight trousers, being too touchy-feely, sending confusing signals, Showing your cleavage. Showing your cleavage. (laughs) And that was repeated many times. Wearing tops that as soon as you bend over, you show your cleavage. And the summary was, you need to cover up completely. (laughs) So we're not advocating burkas or anything like that. But ladies, you need to hear what the men are saying in order for them to pursue purity and sexual holiness. And that's what it is to truly love, love one another is when you don't feel like you are impacted or struggle with it, but you go the extra mile to help those that do. Does that make sense? And so please do think about what you wear and the signals you send and doing things that men find very unhelpful. Everyone alright? So far? Good. Thirdly and lastly, he says, I didn't quite know how to title this, but it's something like, receive, don't reject God. Verse 8, therefore anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God. The very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Every time, uh, we give into sexual purity, we reject God. And my experience over the years of talking to people that struggle with sexual impurity is that they struggle to really have a relationship with God because they're constantly feeling the shame and guilt of messing up. They constantly feel they've let God down. They constantly feel pulled away from God. And those it's almost those two things go together, sexual impurity and walking away from God. Wonderfully, the opposite is also true. If you receive this instruction, it means you receive God. And so how does God come to us today? Well, two things to close. Number one, he comes with sympathy. Um, I've prayed with many people that have struggled with sexual temptation. And Hebrews 4 verse 15 is a really good place to go, which describes Jesus as our great high priest. And a high priest is someone who connects you to God. And through the cross... Jesus connects us to God but Hebrews 4 tells us that he is a sympathetic high priest because he's been tempted in every way as you and I have been but is without sin and that's so important because when we come to God when we come to God in Jesus we do not find Jesus stood with arms folded rolling his eyes and saying you've messed up again how many times are we going to do this Like Seriously, I went through all of that for you to do that again and again and again. That's not the God that we come to. We come to a sympathetic high priest, someone who understands, someone who has tasted how strong the temptation is, but was without sin. So if you feel very broken today in this whole area, if you feel addicted, if you feel there's no hope for change... If you feel like I've battled all my life with this stuff and I'm still struggling, we come to a saviour who sympathises. And not only does he sympathise, but he comes with power. I heard someone say this. If you were asked to write a play as good as Romeo and Juliet or Macbeth or Hamlet, you'd probably find it pretty difficult challenge. But if somehow you are able to channel the spirit of Shakespeare into your life, that may help. You might suddenly find the writing starts to flow and the plays are produced. Well, if you're a Christian here tonight, Jesus promises his spirit. It tells us right at the end of verse 8, God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Jesus, the one who has overcome, the one who faced every temptation yet was without sin, is living in you if you allow him to. Sexual purity is a reality, not a dream, for every single one of us. For many of us, it is a lifetime's work, but the promise is the Spirit's power. And so the preach today is Paul calling the church to sexual purity It's because sex is meant to glorify God, and when used properly, it's made for our enjoyment and pleasure. And so the big question is how? How do we do it? And there's actually many other things we could talk about, but the text gives us three. Number one, control your bodies. Instead of passionate lust, control your eyes, control your minds, control your hands. Why? Well, because there's a relationship with God that's waiting for you. Two, don't take advantage of each other. Love each other. Love each other. And thirdly, receive, don't reject God. And if you do step towards obedience, you receive sympathy and you receive power to change. You know, we've only literally just started to sort of get into this topic Uh, in autumn. We're going to start, I think it's about an 11-week preaching series called Sex and Relationships. And we're going to look in depth at what it is to live a godly life. We're going to look at singleness, we're looking at marriage, we're looking at friendships, we're going to look at what it is to serve one another, looking at godly husbands and wives, what it is to know intimacy with God, and a whole bunch of stuff which I hope will serve us well. The dream here is that we would be a community that loves one another and treat sex as God intended it to. doesn't mess around outside the boundaries that he puts on it. And my hope, there is hope tonight. That's my deep hope. There is hope for you if you find this hard. And so we're going to finish tonight by taking communion together. We're going to break bread. And this is something that Jesus gave us to do. When Jesus was alive, just before he went to the cross... He sat down with his followers, with his disciples, and he said to them, I want to give you a meal that reminds you of what I achieve at the cross. And it's got two parts to it. First of all, is bread. He said, Eat this bread because it will remind you that as we break the bread, my body is broken on the cross. And he said, I'm going to give you wine. And when you drink the wine, it will remind you of my blood. That was shed when I died for you. Jesus goes to the cross to die for our sins and our selfishness. When he does that, it means that we can know God. We can experience life with God. We can experience forgiveness and we can experience joy. And so every time we take the bread and the wine, it reminds us of what Jesus has done for us. And if you're a Christian here tonight, I want to invite you to take this meal. And the best thing to do when it comes to sexual impurity is to run quickly to Jesus because he receives you with sympathy and he receives you with power. If you're not a Christian here but want to become a Christian, you can take communion with us. And if a friend invited you tonight, perhaps you want to ask them to take it with you and explain what it is to become a Christian. So do you want to stand up? Is that okay? Can you stand to your feet, Pete, if you can come? I, I, I'm going to pray for us, and then when you're ready, you can come up on your own. You can come up with your husband or wife. You can come up with a friend, or as I say, you can just come up on your own, and you just come to the front, left and right. You take the bread, take the the wine. It's gluten free. It's alcohol free. It's taste free and you take those elements and you can stand and pray for one another. You can go back to your seats. This is your time to come to Jesus at the cross. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you. Thank you that it is good. It's good to submit to what the Bible says. Thank you that as we submit, we find life. And thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for us, for our sins. And thank you that we believe three days later you rose back to life. You broke the power of death. And we believe that you are here now. And we worship you and we come to you for your sympathy and your power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.